Welcome to A Writer in Italy, the podcast. I am your host, Michelle Johnston, and this is a little share in the world of travel, books, food, art, and lifestyle. I live in Australia, yet have long had an attraction to the Mediterranean countries for as long as I can remember. This inspiration has fueled my creative life and given me incredible joy over the years as an artist and a writer. If you are new to the podcast, season one is the bookshare in the shadow of a cypress, an Italian adventure, and many, many other meanderings in books, art, and cooking, and indeed, the lure of Italy as the ultimate muse. You can find all show notes at michellejohnston.net. You can also find me on Instagram at a writer in Italy and at the yellow house underscore. Thank you for joining me. I love having you here for the journey of Muse Italia. Welcome to episode 20. Thank you for joining me. This episode is called The Heart of Verona. And so this is a continuation from the previous episode, Venice and the Art of Travel. However, just jump in wherever you feel like. At the end of the day, each episode is singular and you can start here or at episode 18. So this is a share about our family trip that we took in early 2019 and I'm just doing it for fun. It's a really great way to write up and just share the journey, relive it a little bit, which is great, especially considering I can't leave the country right now. That makes it even better. So here we go. Thank you for joining me today. First thing I want to write, get up early. No choice. The body is still reverting to Italy time, but I like that. Down the creaky steps to the cave-like kitchen, La Cucina, to begin again. Mornings are quite simply my favourite thing, fresh and alive to the possibilities of a new day. The mocha pot is set to brewing and I try to scrawl some notes in my journal. I know it is not brilliant to give myself an adrenaline rush immediately, but I have had a long habit of writing and morning coffee for about 25 years or so. My will is obviously not strong enough although I usually follow it up with a herbal tea, so all is well. The girls eventually join me, and Livy is a little cranky in my ear. Morning rapture, she wants my attention. I am not trying to write this journey full tilt, not like I did when I wrote In the Shadow of a Cypress some time ago. I knew that was a writing journey, just as much as a travel experience. But I do know if I don't take a few notes, well, there is a great chance it will be lost. And plus writing connects things for me, it brings me right into the moment and sort of acts like a synapse. I function better. The little 10 year old keeps up, but I try to just give myself a moment. The table is set, strawberries, Nutella, the favorite things. I buy Nutella as a treat since we are at the source. Back to being a mum. This is not a holiday from parenting. No, no, no. No trouble. This day, Maddie, Grace and I are off to Verona. And Rich is sure he wants to stay in Padua. I am sure he would love Verona. 
but he is adamant he wants to see more of this city. It is tricky because I too would like to do the same. However, I have had this idea for a while to see Verona. It is an hour away on the train and that is the plan. It is good to have a day to focus on the two bigger girls, so I don't mind. We are all happy. We decide to pack a light lunch with the leftovers from the supermarket shopping spree, using up the panino, boccaccini and prosciutto. I'm pleased as I hate, yes, strong word, I detest food waste. It is just so disappointing. You see at home we have chickens and a compost and once you go down that trail, well, there is no turning back. I digress. Livy is wearing her new shirt from Venice in big red letters, Amore, Italian love. Yes, it is here to stay. She is super happy about that. We leave a bit later than expected, but no worry. We walk briskly to the station past shop fronts with colourful pots of polyanthus and what I know to be called mimosa in Italy. The yellow is uplifting on a cold day. At home, they symbolise the very beginning of spring in Australia. We call them wattle, where I live in a cool climate area. They will continue on until the equinox, flowering, cheering us on to get to the other side of the winter spell and the rebunctious days of early spring. We buy tickets to Verona, Porta Nuova, and enjoy some chill time in the train. Although it doesn't take me long sitting back I, when I check my emails to discover that indeed the next day, the 8th of March, the trains are on strike. Fancy that. Italo has told me there will be a train sometime through the day if we decide to keep our tickets. We have booked to catch the 10am to Florence. Hmm, small conundrum. However, we only have two nights in Firenze before moving on to Lucca and spending a whole day waiting for our train ride does not sit well. They suggest we can get a refund, so that is positive. It is funny, I revel in the shock of it all, the one and only train I have booked on this journey. We immediately exit the train and head to the Italo stand to figure out a plan. Two young girls explain the situation and suggest I buy tickets on the private Fresher Rossa train, which is nice, I can do that, if I don't mind parting with approximately 300 Australian dollars. The fare I organised months ago was half of that. And I can get a refund? No. I cannot unless I send my bank details with swift codes and all sorts of jazz to an email that I am given on a tiny piece of paper in tiny writing, suggesting a refund request for foreign travellers. Oh, how convenient. I could lose this piece of paper in an instant. I love that the modern machine I've just swiped with the same credit card is capable of a debit transaction, but not a refund. Tim Parks would love this, and I predict he would expect no less. He wrote a brilliant book called Italian Ways, on and off the rails from Milan to Palermo. I actually really like catching trains. It makes me happy. Betwixt and between, an adventure and in flow. I put the fresh tickets in my bag and I am mostly grateful I checked the email. Worse would be discovering this early the following day. I take note of the cafes and the beauty shops and all sorts of things, yet exit the station. It is quite spacious outside. We decide to just get some fresh air and eat some lunch on a bench not too far away. The morning has already gone fast. We chew fast, although it is a challenge with the panini. 
Once done, we follow the signs to the Centro Storico. Having no map of the city, we work it out. The day is sunny and bright. As we get closer, walking along Corso Porta Nuova, I am struck by two things. First, the mimosa, shaped in a love heart wreath in the middle of the road, and the stunning detail of Porta della Bra, the gateway to the city indeed. The triumphant double arches are medieval and date back to the early Roman times, around the first century. It occurs to me that this is a tremendously large city, with Roman theatres and many vast monuments to see. I immediately wish that Richard and Livy were here, with us, as I know he would be really impressed. I pick up a map in Piazza Bra near the cafes that line the piazza, and across the way is a massive Colosseum, which is certainly a surprise to us. The girls cannot believe how it is just a part of the everyday. Just seems a little surreal. The Colosseum we see is an ancient Roman arena, built in 30 AD. I am surprised that it is earlier than the one we mostly know about in the middle of Rome. We decide after the 20 minute walk from the station, we will just take stock with the gelato before we continue on. The gelato is super sweet and fills us more than we expect it to. I am surprised I don't stop and sit at one of those many cafes in the piazza. The Victoria Emmanuel Cafe looks perfect. It would be lovely to just sit there and people watch. These days, the Roman arena houses the opera buffs who come to visit for the summer season to catch some La Traviata or La Bohème. How fabulous that would be and what a world away from the early days when it was there for a different kind of spectacle. A place of entertainment, yes, as the gladiators filled the arena, as did the bloodshed and brutality. Now, I have read it is the largest open-air festival in Italy, and that is a wonderful thing. I love the bright colours of this city. Walking through the Centro, I am in awe of the small gardens that the locals have. Greenery in pots, ivy hanging from wrought iron balconies, ochre, lemon and terracotta walls, tall apartments and exceptionally clean streets. Maddie is bedazzled that there are designer shops everywhere, like just out in the open, an everyday thing, not locked inside a mall like at home. We walk into a few just to have a peek, but I'm mostly happy to just keep meandering until funny enough we stumble into that glorious corridor that perhaps the city is most famous for on Via Capello. And there indeed is Balcone de Giulietta, the infamous Juliet's balcony a little street dedicated to her namesake, even though it is in truth a fictional detail. Shakespeare obviously set his play Romeo and Juliet in Verona. It was just a place it could have been set in Modena, for instance. However, it is a sweet thing to see the spectacle indeed, as we all cram into a small archway with a fabulous array of graffiti, letters, love stories, post-it notes, and indeed, chewing gum that is in a line up the wall. It is hilarious. The girls love it. I find it charming and quite funny. Inside is a bunch of people, mostly Italians, having a laugh and a few Asian tourists, not many of us really, having a giggle as we all take in turns to jump up on the golden statue that is Juliet and cup her right breast for good luck in the love department. We could all do with some love vibes, 
and we join in on the action. It is a captivating little location with more of the medieval grandeur. The upper balcony can be visited if you are happy to part with a few euros for a tour of the house. We end up purchasing some little tourist souvenirs in the shop accompanying the balcony. Why not? I know Livy would love an Amore bracelet and I buy a stupid amount of magnets for presents. But other than that, we find ourselves back in Piazza del Erbe, where we peruse the market for some leather goods. Maddie buys herself a perfect little mustard-coloured handbag and Grace a maroon one with gold detail. I walk away with none, but I have my eye on a few. They are both chuffed with their purchases and still use them till this day. Piazza del Erbe is another wonderful spot. I could while away some time with a vino from a local vineyard if it wasn't for the fact that there is still a lot more for us to see. There are some grand renovations happening behind the facade that is the Palazzo Malfi, just next to the Torre dei Lamberti, a wonderful tower that would have exceptional views of the city. In front is the Lion of St Mark's, high on a plinth, once again a reminder of the legacy of the Venetian Republic. Once this square was the Roman Forum. The history of this city boggles the mind. So many layers, and what's more, for the past 20 years, it has been protected under the banner of UNESCO World Heritage. I understand why. We wandered through an archway that is an arcade of sorts to see another square so picturesque and grand, the Piazza dei Signori, calling us in, captivating from the other side. More wonderful architectural detail of the Palazzo della Regione, a brick and tufa building that stands out in the square. In the past, this piazza was the political foundation for the Della Scala family, also known locally as the Scaligera. This powerful family rose to significance in the 13th and 14th century, cementing the city of Verona as a powerful entity on its own, dominating the region including nearby Vicenza and Padova. All was well until, of course, Napoleon arrived, and well, I tell that tale in the previous episode. The wealth of this city still stands. You can sense the prosperity of this region just walking the streets alone. Dante is commemorated in the square. An elegant marble statue stands, symbolic of his stay in Verona, once in exile to his birthplace, Florence, toward the near end of his life. I marvel at it all and wander over to the archway near Via Arches Galeggeri. Supposedly Romeo's house is down there. I wonder if it is true. Across the way we are entranced by the ironwork and detail of what looks to be a church on Via Santa Maria Antica. We are intrigued at the beauty of the dark iron lacework. I read later it is symbolic of the Della Scala's family ladder. Inside the Romanesque chapel I see a spot dedicated to St. Anthony of Padova and feel a connection I don't yet understand. The high altar is almost a little kitsch, but charming no less. The chains hanging on each side are for incense. Is it frankincense that is burned on significant days? Outside, I look up to the detail above to see the horse with what looks to be a winged rider, very intricate, reminding me of the Rider Waite tarot cards. I love the ornate detail. B 
beneath is a tomb and next door is the family cemetery. Reverence to the past indeed. The girls are ready to leave so we wander back out onto the medieval streets and somehow or another find our way to the river, Adige, not quite knowing what we are looking for, but happy to find it no less. We make our way along the river Adige, walking around colourful apartments to get closer to the bridge ahead that will take us across the river. We are beside ourselves when we see how vast this city is. It really is stupendous. Across the water are cypress on a grand scale and homes sloping up a hill that is steep from the river's edge. It looks like more Roman ruins in between cypress groves. When we get to the bridge, we stand there for a while, just taking it all in. No rush. We have walked and walked and the view up and down the river is a photographer's dream. The Ponte Pietra is an ancient stone bridge made of travertine brick for walking only. I laugh at the coincidence that earlier I purchased a postcard when getting myself organised with a map of Verona with this bridge on it. Perhaps an intuitive hunch. I bought it for Josephine, an old friend of mine, whose parents lived a little north of Padua, closer to the German border. Josephine has never been to Italy. She will not fly. Her older sister Elizabeth was born here. Josephine came later, but they had already begun a new life in Australia, outside of Sydney. I wonder at this. Italy is a distant relative on the whole. The original Roman bridge dates back to 100 BC, yet has had to be resurrected a couple of times, more recently when some of the arches were blown up in World War II by the retreating Germans. It was reconstructed in 1957. As the river curves around the bend, there are a number of bridges along the way, but certainly this one is significant. As we get closer to the other side, we can see the Roman theatre and remains on the hill. So the big decision is whether to walk up to the top to Castel San Pietro at the peak of the hill. We decide to take the funicular and walk back down, which is an easy option to get to the top to see the view. Catching the funicular to the Castel was a wise decision. It is quick and efficient. Upon walking around the perimeter of the castle, we are met with a magnificent view of the city, lined with cypresses that flank the edge of the hill. This domineering position was obviously a strategic one. First the Romans, then the barbarians tried. Later the French came in and demolished the castle. Not far behind them were the Austrians, whom rebuilt while their empire lasted. However, now it is mostly Romanesque in style. We start walking back down and find ourselves in a restaurant that has a wonderful position on the hill. We will sit outside with some drinks and a peppermint tea for me to revive us to get back to the railway station. I write on my postcard as I am intent on sending it as soon as I get back to Piazza Bra. We have a solid walk ahead of us, but no mind. We have loved being in Verona, every minute of it. Wandering back, Grace mentions how many kilometres we have walked. Already 13, she suggests. Our feet ache, but we are not done yet. Back through the city, we follow a similar route to get back to the Centro Storico. Eventually, we find ourselves back in Padova, tired but happy to share the thrills of our day. I am disappointed Richard didn't get to see Verona too, although he was more than happy with his day, following the trail of Monte Don from his series on Italian gardens. He makes his way to this city in an episode on the north, 
enjoying the medicinal gardens at the university and the canals of the city. It still makes me laugh that Rich has become a little enamoured with Monty over the years. Delighted to watch his garden shows, 20 years ago I would have not believed that if one had told me. It was always me trying to transform the garden in the early days, but now we share the journey. Richard is making us dinner when we arrive back at the apartment. The clothes have dried on the racks and we are needing to get a little organised for the journey to Firenze in the morning. Livy shares her day of wandering the city, seeing street mimes and a grand piano that was sitting in the middle of the piazza that a local was playing. We are relieved to say the least that I checked my email. I have ignored it mostly on the journey. Really, we had no choice as the Wi-Fi was rather useless. Otherwise, the girls have certainly had to contend with that more than me. But no worry, there's plenty of time for that business. Down in the kitchen slash cellar, we sit at the large table for a meal with food we sourced at the supermarket, trying to eat all of the leftovers. I'm still loving those Sicilian oranges. They peel like a mandarin and so sweet. Next thing, the kitchen goes completely dark as we have overused the supply of electricity. Lucky for us, the owner popped over. Too many lights on in the apartment and the oven was not interested. We won't be cooking much after this anyway. We share a little vino and salute our wine to Padova. Excited for the days ahead and filled up from our time in the beautiful Veneto. So yes, Verona, a worthy detour if you are traveling in the north of Italy and have some time to see this city. I mentioned Tim Parks earlier and I noticed recently he's published a new book called Italian Life, a modern fable of loyalty and betrayal, which sounds rather intriguing. Tim Parks has lived in Italy for the past 40 years or so and has written many books on Italian culture and life. He works in Italy, I think in uh, Milan and... What else was I going to say? I will leave all of the uh, show notes for this particular episode at michellejohnston.net. So, until next time, I will be back with an episode on Florence and Luca. And I'm really enjoying writing up these little stories. They make me have a little think about things and contemplate. And a little bit of research, which is really good too, because it just irons out some areas I don't really know a lot about so it'll be really good for next time when I get to go back and yeah one day so take care and I'll see you soon bye